welcome to the TCM Challenge, a monthly movie review podcast where Matt and I challenge each other to watch some classic films. This month's movie is 1976's Network, and I'm Matt in Buffalo. And this is Matt in Arizona, and y'all can't see this, but Matt can at this point. This is Matt in Arizona, and according to my little title here, I'm mad as hell. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's fine print. Yes, I, I got there, that. There is an we're using a new software to to record the show, and when you sign in, you can put your you could put a title under your name. So that might be a fun thing that I do every month. I'm just uh, TCM challenge Matt here. Oh, th- uh, you know, this is also just a an embarrassment of riches for Matt to have a closing quote with this week, right? So God, this is going to be all over the place. And I, I do want to say up front, there's going to, there's going to be a lot of parallels drawn to this from this movie, at least for me to, to today's sort of mm-hmm. media and political landscape. So if that's, you know, something that turns you off, maybe go listen to another episode or go to the next one, but there's no way that I can talk about this movie and not bring up some of that stuff in my own point of view. Oh my God. And it's like, shame on you. If you're, you've seen the title of this episode network, the movie invited this at the time. And if anything, it's even more pressure. Oh, it's definitely more pressure now. It's amazing. Right. So before we get into that, Matt, happy holidays. What better way to celebrate than talk about network, but we should see how we got here and why we picked network. So the random number generator is what it is. And like we talked about, TCM has surprisingly few Christmas movies yeah, it's, and factors like it's, Godzilla marathons it's not, and stuff. It's so. not AMC. Like, you know, AMC right. has all that stuff. I guess TCM waits till actual like Christmas Eve. But that said, you had some good choices here. I so did. You had from 1995, uh, Hugh Grant's Sense and Sensibility. From 1943, Gary Cooper's The Pride of the Yankees. Network, of course. In name only from 1939, Cary Grant, and another Cary Grant vehicle, Night and Day from 1946. So you settled on Network. I don't blame you. What was your history of Network coming in, and why did you settle on that? Okay, I think I said this at the at the end of last show when I picked Network. This is a movie I had seen a long time ago when I was in my mid-teens. And I remember thinking it was interesting, but I remember not really understanding the satirization going on because, I mean... I I was maybe 14 or 15 when I saw this and I wanted to see it again through the eyes of an adult. And I'll just, you know, I'll go ahead and and say this up front. I am so glad that I watched this again. Now at at 34, I got much more enjoyment out of it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And we'll get into it, but like, it's funny how you said as a teen, you might not have got the satirization. I wonder if a new audience coming in now pick a 22 year old who didn't know this would they even appreciate this as satire at the time or is it just an active commentary right because it's just every bit of it is now commonplace yes i know sydney lumet when he was doing this he's like everything in here has happened except for the on-air killing of somebody intentional on-air killing of somebody but even then it's like he said this is happening but now it's just it is everywhere it's ubiquitous for television and internet now too right of course so oh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's level set. <clears throat> 1976 a, in cinema. A good year for movies. Oh, we're in the 70s golden age, right? So 
top box office was Rocky, A Star is Born, King Kong, Silver Streak, which is the Richard Pryor, uh, Gene Wilder movie, of course. One of many. Uh, All the President's Men, The Omen, uh, The Bad News Bears, The Enforcer, which is one of the Dirty Harry movies, maybe number three. Uh, I forget. Midway. And then showing you that the, uh, the Christian cinema impact is not a new thing. The utterly completely forgotten to time pseudo documentary in search of Noah's Ark, by the way, oh, rounded okay. out the top 10. Yeah. yeah. Just like complete fake. It's, you know, Noah's Ark is on top of Mount Ararat right now. Kind of a thing. And then the Academy Awards, Rocky, of course, won famously. Uh, All the President's Men was nominated, Bound for Glory, Network uh, was nominated for Best Picture, and Taxi Driver. You know, for my money, as much as good as Network is, Taxi Driver probably should have won, but... I don't know. I'm I'm a Rocky fan, too, so I could see why that won. But is it safe to say, maybe not most well-received, but most appreciated at the Academy Awards is Network? All the acting... And then I, all the nominations, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, man, did I did I find a new appreciation for this film after watching it. And usually, I, yep. I'll just say this up front too. Usually sometimes with these um, rewatch things, if it's kind of a slow movie or it's dragging, like I'll pause it, I'll get up and do something else and then I'll come back to it. This had me for the full two hours. I did not yeah, get up I mean, once. It's a- it's a relatively short runtime. Um, what just at two hours, I will argue. And it's like the lightest of kind of searching for criticisms. I think there's a little bit of dragginess to one storyline part of it, but I totally get why it's in there, but no, it, it moves along. It's quite entertaining, even though it's just mostly dialogue, right? Mostly, yeah, it's mostly dialogue and we're dealing with some of the worst people. So, I mean, oh, yeah, I mean, is I mean, there's not many good people in this by any real stretch. No, even even someone like, you know, uh, even William Holden, who's supposed to be, I guess, the protagonist is not that great. I mean, he probably comes. he probably goes out the, the end of the movie with the best. I guess if you want to call it positive ending, maybe positive ending, but still kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So anyhow, let's jump into it. So we're introduced by, oh, um, a narrator, which I do love a good narration in a film. I thought it it was Orson Welles at first, but it wasn't. Sounds like him. I so that was a question. I didn't catch it in the research. Who was the narrator? Was I, it anybody I, in this? No, it, 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 it was just someone. I can't remember who it was. I just remember thinking, is that Orson Welles? Because he's got the the cool, deep narration voice, but it was not. I'll have to look it up who it was, but I don't think it was anybody that you would know offhand. Um, it should have been, um, wait, the, the great Ahmed Khan, because that guy went on to have a very prolific uh, voiceover. He was Destro and G.I. Joe Transformers and stuff like he could have been your uh, voiceover dude for it. Mm. But it it more or less, it it feels like it's the intro of like a sensationalistic documentary kind of a thing uh, because it's setting the stage. And it explains that Howard Beale, the incredible Peter Finch in this movie, you know, the most iconic person of the film, 
is a longtime anchor at the UBS uh, Evening News, which is a made up network for the purpose of the movie. Right. But, you know, Walter, Walter Cronkite and all the other networks. Are well, yeah, a, I mean, name yeah, we, the ABC, NBC and CBS exist in this world. We get this is Fox. Yeah. It's also looking into the crystal ball. Oh, totally. Fox. Totally. Yeah, pretty much. So he learns that due to, you know, slipping ratings that he's going to be shit canned. So it basically really quickly explains that him and his uh, news director, uh, Max, uh, your William Holden, proceed to go out and have a rip and drunk fest evening. Just two old guys going out in New York and getting just shit faced. Right. Right. And that's where we really pick it up is them talking in a bar. And I had seen this before. It's been a long time since I saw it. Uh, I remember the the beats. Right. But in the bar, basically, um, what? Howard Beale is, you know, his wife died, we're explained, he's a widower, not a whole heck of a lot to live for. And he more or less is drunkenly talking to Max and says, you know, what? I'm gonna blow my brains out on the show, you know, around the news. And Max kind of drunkenly laughs it off. And we wrap up their drunken evening out with some old, you know, uh, romantic storytelling of old reporting days. And then we go to the news the next day, right? By the way, as like a an aside, I do like the romantic ideas of reporting. We saw that before with um, the uh, Mel Gibson movie. Oh, you're literally uh, dangerous. It's how ancient history. Yeah. But this, the all the president's men, man, like at one point, like being a reporter was thought to be like a really glamorous what? Well, cool this, job maybe well, not mean, at, a way to wealth at this time it it kind of was because i mean they mentioned him but mm-hmm. we're still in the age of cronkite yep and this is like kind of the death throes of it or you know <clears throat> the beginning of the end anticipating it yeah <laughs> right so on the following night we see that beale is doing the old dude um just classic mad uh mad men type of thing just walking around the office he just has a bourbon or a scotch or something. You know, I, I'm one to talk as I clink my glass into the mic. But just the old timey dude just walking around the office drinking. He goes on the air and it has some of that like 1970s, just overlapping dialogue and cacophony, just cool sound design at the time of just everybody's just going through the motions. Well, yeah. So we're putting on the show. Nobody cares. We're seeing it right? from the uh, control room. So that's why right. there's a bunch of overlapping conversations. Oh, yeah, it's great. So we see through monitors and such. Howard Beale talks about, hey, by the way, in two weeks, I'm going to blow my brains out on the news. And nobody hears it. Nobody really pays attention. Only Some guy in the other room goes, what the hell did he say? Right. Right. And and no one really seems to care all that much. Until, uh, you know, except for Max. Right. And by the way, this is somewhere around in here, um, actually in the narration. I completely forgot. I remember thinking at the time when I saw this years and years ago, I'm like, oh, wow, this is really funny. I didn't know that this was like a kind of dark comedy in a lot of ways. Oh, it very much so is. Oh, it's hilarious. This is one of the funnier movies that we've done, and it's not even really remembered as a comedy no, it, necessarily. Well, and, you know, it works, too, as a drama. I mean, like there, there are plenty of yes. dramatic things that happen. But yes. when, when I, you know, when you use the phrase dark comedy, I would say that this is like one of the darkest of dark comedies because I mean, some really heavy shit happens. 
that but also kind of like absurdist yeah comedy right yeah. the, you know the the communist just screaming don't fuck with my distribution uh, well, right like we'll, it, we'll, it just gets we'll so get to that but i mean the, the thing the commentary that i love and this is pervasive throughout is exactly how much people are willing to sacrifice once they get a little bit of the spotlight oh i mean we're sorry folks we're going to be effusive with praise throughout this whole thing there are so many layers and so many things that this is saying we're going to forget a ton of it right because yes you're right it's it, everybody's shifting morality just greed you know desire for fame all of it it's all through here plus just all the commentary i mean to the point where like we'll, we'll talk and everything we'll talk about her later but even the political activist changes her tune to something that is completely opposite for what she stands for once she gets on tv oh even before that when she's in just like a boardroom meeting right she changes her tune in the span of like a couple seconds when she sees some dollar signs going yeah front, going front of we'll her get eyes, there right? but i mean everyone betrays their so-called morality for you know right. fame and fortune so for what it's worth, I mean, we'll go through it, but this isn't a plot movie by any means. I mean, there's beats, there's things that happen, but you know, so it's much of this movie. is like, it's a, it's also a monologue movie. It's heavily written in a good, in a good way. Right. But it's just these killer monologue after killer monologue given by every actor basically in this. And they're all one upping each other and they're all having really significant interesting things to say one after another i mean this is basically a play i mean it's I not undercutting like sydney lumet's like directing if, if, if this was ever put on as a play it would be a great play <clears throat> i mean it must have been right i mean do it right if it has it it needs to be it's done awesome. right so i mean plot wise ubs sees this they're inundated by phone calls and they're like, okay, we got to fire him. But Max, William Holden's old school. He's like, listen, he's just, you know, long day, whatever. And again, give him another chance, right? The thing that I, such biting commentary, when the phone calls come in, none of them are concerned for the fact that he's going to kill himself. Everyone's concerned because he put it, he, they were so off put that he said it on the air. That and like with the next hilarious um, scene, it's like they're more concerned with just we got a bunch of calls into the FCC. You know, people are complaining about the naughty language. Right. Right. It's, you know, people's motivations across the board are all awful. And at, at, like every step of this, like every character has the there, worst motivation. No, but there, there are some who are worse than others. And well, yeah, I mean, we'll get to her. But Faye Dunaway in this movie is brilliant. But like. Talk about shot out of the cannon. Talk about, you know, someone who's completely amoral. Oh, yeah. I, yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, well, well, we'll get to it. So anyhow, Max convinces him of like, OK, he has done how many decades of service to this company? Let him go out with some, you know, dignity. So he's going to have a prepared statement. You know, he'll step into the news. He'll just, you know, have a dignified goodbye. So through this, basically, oh, go on. Why they think that's a good idea or that it will go according to plan, I don't know. Of course, like you said, it's a comedy, but still. Well, they, they do have some, you know, checking the box on the plot of like, we're going to have it vetted. He's going to submit it. He's just going to read this. 
so anyhow it's again just a hilarious direction to it of seeing it from the the uh control room Beale goes on and starts his apology, but just quickly goes on to launches into a rant saying, I did it because I'm tired of the bullshit. And he just, I ran out of all my bullshit. I have no more bullshit to give and just goes on. And the execs are calling in freaking out. But at this point, Max knows, you know, we're also getting like the disgusting backroom politics of giant corporations max is kind of like well life is bullshit right let him go and well, it's like screw it he, he's gonna let him go and the, the thing that i'll argue is that you know most everybody in this film is using each other for one way or another the only kind of genuine mm-hmm. you know i relationship i think is that i do come away from this this movie thinking that max genuinely does care about his friend howard Yes, he does. I believe that, but he at a certain point he doesn't do too much. No, he doesn't do too much with it, but like all the other relationships in this movie are just fake as hell and people being opportunistic. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one genuine friendship in this whole thing. Yeah, during both of these, you know, incidents, um, he takes him back to live at his house for the night to avoid the press. Yeah, he's and I don't think he was doing this to exploit it. He's like, my buddy is getting screwed over by this company just because he's not flashy enough or whatever. He's going to let him go out the way he wanted. Like he respects his friend of like, Hey, if the friend thinks that this is what he needs to do, he's going to let him do it. But he's also a and little full, worried for him. <laughs> full throat, but full throated too. I mean, again, it's not really a particularly funny line, but there was some, there was one point during this scene where, uh, someone pops in and says, I forget the guy's name, but Robert Duvall's character is on the phone and, and William Holden just says, tell him to go fuck himself. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of language in this. There's a lot of F-bombs oh, very yeah. early in this movie. I'm like, oh yeah, we're in the 70s. This yeah, is an R. This and this you're is, not afraid yeah. of it. Yeah. Uh, Frank Hackett is Robert Hackett, Duvall's that's character. It. Tell Hackett yep. to go fuck himself. That's what it was. Which, by the way, Robert Duvall's also awesome in this. Oh, I yeah. just top to bottom i mean we got some heavy hitters in this oh yeah i mean you end up seeing it but it has the record for um the shortest performance screen time ever to win an oscar for performance it's um the woman from poltergeist i'm blanking on her name but uh joe beth williams holden's yeah her um his wife in this warm uh oh no that's not her that's that's someone else but you're right yeah uh but um oh shoot what's his name ned Beatty. Beatty. he his uh, scene is basically five minutes well, and he's awesome too well yeah. let's we'll get to him at the end but i didn't even recognize him oh yeah i mean that might be like it's perfect maybe a miscast i don't know but anyhow that outburst causes just a huge spike in the ratings and at this point schumacher is like wanting to get out that william holden's character max right just basically, you know, he can't believe this. And then we start getting introduced to Faye Dunaway's character, Diana. Diane Christensen. Yeah. She's popping around, kind of appears in the um, periphery on scenes. Uh, by the way, I do like how she shows up, but this movie is not big on exposition. They don't really explain like the corporate hierarchy all that much. Well, we get it's like you'll figure it out. Well, don't worry about it. We come and to understand appear, that she's right? she's in the network. She's she's the basically the head of the entertainment division. Right. 
So she starts to weigh in on the news, seeing that this is a big rating spike and that screw it. We're just going to flat out exploit him, make him the mad prophet of the airways, basically. And she wants to step in to develop the show. Yeah, basically take the, right. the news away from William Holden, who's the head of the news division, and put the news under entertainment, which is exactly what's happened today. I mean, all the these cable news channels are, you know, conglomerates of some studio's entertainment division. One in particular right. that I can think of that I'm sure will be mentioned a lot, but. I mean, we don't have to censor ourselves. It's Fox. just like, listen. Yeah, I mean, well, the thing is, it's everyone now. It, it's everyone it's now, not, but it, I mean, I can imagine a very similar conversation happened before the creation of Fox in the mid-90s. Oh, I mean, listen, it's it's insane just how on the nose is this with everything. But, you know, not to be one-sided about it, it's everybody's guilty of this. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Are, right. It's, but one, it's just like so obvious and egregious. And so Max is pissed about this because he was promised autonomy, right? Like the, the, the romantic news, we're going to say the news, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's going to be against the, the parent company, it's like, we're an independent news broadcast kind of, a which, thing. Was, which was, this the, is not entertainment, which was the way it was at the time. That's the Cronkite school of thinking. Right. So basically we, you know, without going beat by beat, Faye Dunaway's character starts to really drive wedges in the corporate structure and forces her way into this. Right. And just, just I mean, and this is no comment because everyone is bad in this movie, but she does it just so shamelessly without oh, remorse, without she, regret. Yeah essentially no shame at any point in her character only once do you see any like real emotion from her we'll, we'll get into it when we get to like a really amazing scene later but yeah, yeah no just like shameless she well when she goes in and this is my argument where i think it's like a little bit draggy for the show um is when she comes in and it's where we start to see the affair emerge between her and max she puts it out on the table that she's going to take it from him. And she just assumed kind of work with him because she had a crush on him. And yeah. That kind of, a well, thing. they but go she's out. Like, I'm going to take it. They, they go out before yeah. the decisions made. And they, she basically tells him this is happening one way or the other. Now we can either do this as partners or I'm just going to take it out right from you. Um, Which is also the exact same way she handled her sex proposition to him. <laughs> right. More or less as well. Pretty much. And you know, even her, even her first scene, the kind of things that she's coming up with is, you know, they have this footage of a bank robbery, supposedly, and her idea is to have these, you know, have a weekly series now where all these horrible, you see footage of a real life horrible event, and then you, you base a whole show behind it, and she's going to call it the Mao Zedong Hour. Which somebody mentioned as a joke, but she's like, why not? No, she actually, like, <laughs> yeah, she actually takes it and is going to run with it as that. Oh yeah. It's just absurd, which is another funny joke. Like they name check the, um, Symbionese Libya liberation the Patty stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's like, no, this is uh Walter Cronkite's daughter, by the way, is the heiress who is kidnapped. Um, yeah. His real life daughter. That's, a, that's that. actually her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
so this is the ecumenical liberation army which i'm not sure makes the slightest amount of sense when you see the great ahmed khan leading the ecumenical like and i guess i guess i, I guess I, no supposed, what's going I guess it's supposed to be communists though uh, extreme end like when we get to the communist woman she's like they don't represent us they're just oh that's right extreme she's, whatever she's, she's just working with him for the money yeah well my cynicism is it's like i i, I read a bunch of like 1960s um history books and stuff it's just the revolutionaries at that time, they don't know what they're revolutionizing against or what they actually want. This seems to be kind of like a call out of that, of just we're angry about stuff. We're going to do things to change man, but we don't know what it is. And I think calling it like the ecumenical whatever and just attacking prisons I mean, and banks, hey, they don't know what they that want. That hasn't changed much in the last 50 years either. Well, touche, <laughs> yes. just that's It's a big thing from the uh, 70s and 60s, I'll say. So anyhow, can we get into like a little bit of that relationship of Diane and Max? Yeah. Because again, the whole thing is like, I don't think we have to go necessarily plot by plot point through. I think we can probably jump from like storyline to storyline. So my thing is, this is one of those elements and layered allegories or, you know, stuff like in this that makes a ton of sense. I get it that why it's here. It's still good, but I still think it's a little bit draggy. The relationship basically is a huge age differential, right? Max is 20 to 30 years older than Faye Dunaway's character. Yeah, and suppo supposedly that she, and I don't even know if this is true. I, I they, She says that she saw him lecture once at one of her schools and had a, mm -hmm. she had a schoolgirl crush on him. Now, I believe that she saw him lecture. I don't know whether or not she actually had a crush on him. I think she's, she might be just using him. Uh, well, the thing is, it's like, he is so like, she power plays and just gets around him like immediately afterwards. I think she is using him, but using him for sex. And that's right. it. Right. Cause she has, as we will find out, she has no place for it. Uh, you know, relationships, human relationships, reciprocal relationships. So, it works thematically uh, because what we end up seeing is she is the allegory for television. It's oh, base yeah. instinct. It's, it's appealing to like your primal, whatever your anger, your sex, your lust well, to, to the but point it gives you absolutely nothing back to the point where she cannot express feelings or emotions or life events or whatever without using television metaphors. Yeah. I mean, he puts a real, you know, he, he hits it on the nose at one point. Uh, Max, he says you're the living embodiment of television. It's she can only speak in those terms. Yeah, well, it's completely inhuman relationship back. We'll get to that scene, but, but their, their, their goodbye scene to each other is one of the best in the film. I mean, we can, I don't know, we can probably just head straight to it because it kind of exists. That's my point. Like, it works as a standalone story. But so independently from like the rest of it, it feels like slightly draggy, but it's so well acted. It's still completely on point for the theme of the the movie. It still just feels like a little extra. But yeah, I mean, they end up having a relationship. To the point where, the, and, and, and this is where, you know, William Holden, who's been quote unquote, the most, I guess you would call morally clean out of all these people. And no one's clean in this film. 
but to the point where William Holden leaves his wife of something like 25 years to be with Faye Mm -hmm. Dunaway. For just sex. sex. Because we, it, it, because nothing else, because it has, and not even like, not even, well, you know, I, who's to say, but we see them, you know, being intimate and it's not even, they don't even have sexual chemistry because she's talking about uh, programming and TV as they're having sex. I mean, so it's the most passionless sex that you've ever seen. Yeah, well, what it is, it's him being infatuated by the easy television thing. He sees 1976 Faye Dunaway. Who's stunning. Throwing herself at, yeah, who's throwing herself at him. And he chases the easy thing. He cha- It's television. It's the people who watch Fox News. They're chasing the thing they want to hear because the difficult, the, the reality, the more fulfilling thing is a lot more difficult. It's the wife. It's where it's ups and downs. It's actual reciprocal relationship. It's a real human. But sometimes that's really hard, right? The really easy thing is Faye Dunaway, and she's hot, and I'm going to have sex with her a bunch. Mm -hmm. And that's what he pursues, and that's people looking for television for escapism. It's the exact same thing. But eventually, and we, why don't we just talk through it, I guess, but eventually he confronts her with that. He leaves his wife which i guess we should talk about that an amazing scene she won an oscar just for this one five minute basically talking about how hurtful this was and she's how we've good had our ups and downs oh yeah it makes me want to go watch poltergeist right yeah um but oh it's just amazing walking through this just gorgeous new york city house apartment um and just having that relationship where it's like you can tell They've been together for a million years. She wants to know if he loves her. He does. He has no idea if she loves him back. And they kind of talk about, well, you know, I might come end up coming back. It's kind of all madness. But eventually, William Holden's character realizes like how just empty this relationship is with Faye Dunaway. Yeah. And again, her the the wife's monologue was amazing only to be matched by Max's monologue, staring Faye Dunaway just straight in the eyes and talking about, listen, you know, I can't do anywhere close to giving this justice, right? But he's talking about the end of my life is a lot closer than the beginning. I'm starting to see fine details of this. I I love you. Can you love me back? And it's just him pleading with her for anything from her. And the only point in the movie where she her veneer cracks. The only point where I believe emotion, she's genuine. Yes. Uh, is she goes, I don't know how. And then the phone rings because she knows at this point we'll get to it. It's like the the, uh, the, the, the veal, veal is falling. The veal apart. show is going downhill. Right. That's her out, and then she immediately, you know, puts the veneer back up, says some really nasty shit to him ends up kind of, throw, you know, as he's leaving, she's talking about how you're the worst lay. Well, maybe not the worst lay, just straight to attack mode. Who cares about everyone else? Back to the work stuff and just closes it right back up again. Well, right? the, and the thing I love is that when William Holden does leave, and this is this is the conclusion of his story, is he's going to go back to try to mend things with his wife. He She was in attack mode. She said all those nasty things to him. 
I think he really gets her though, because she, he attacks her and leaves her on terms that she, the only terms that she understands where she, you know, you know, wayward yeah. husband comes to his senses, returns to his wife, music up with a swell final commercial. And here are a few scenes from next week's show. Like she puts it in those TV terms. And he says, you're going to, you know, the script says you're going to kill yourself when everything falls apart. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that, I'm all for doing that, that thing that, at the that end was, that, that was, we continue the that story. was deep. That was some wounding shit. Like, I love that. Oh, I think she completely saw it. Right. Like, like I, I just said, like, we might have to do the thing of like, Hey, if this movie continued on, let's play out how everything goes for the characters, because it's like, I think he really hit the nail on the head there too. Right. Cause the way she's living, she only has, you can only burn that bright for a certain amount of time, especially with the shit they get into by the end of the movie. Right. So, okay. So, but that's kind of that storyline. And then <laughs> while all this is happening, uh, we, we, we left off the Howard Beale storyline where he, he gave his bullshit monologue. And, th- and then there's another show that happens after that, where we get the mad as hell monologue. Well, almost right because this is where i was like i had the drop thought earlier i forgot like at the beginning of this i'm like oh when he's at the bar he's talking about killing himself is he just putting this all on because he's just going to you know pull one over on everyone is he faking this howard beale and i was wondering like oh i'm gonna kind of look at that from this perspective and this reviewing is he is he in on all this right and is he wanting to be exploited by all these people Sure, up until you have the scene that's straight out of The Exorcist. I was going to say, I think he's mentally ill. <laughs> yes, because for sure, because nobody else is around and you get the scene of him in bed. Talking to Somebody's somebody. talking to him <laughs> and he's just talking back and it's lit like The Exorcist. It's like Regan there is in bed with the preacher downstairs and she's like listening to him. That's how it's lit. I'm like, oh my God, this just turned into like a weird horror no, film. He, no, he's not he, faking. This. He's mentally ill. And they're, you know, of course the, when it comes off and gives them good ratings, they're all too happy to exploit his, this man's mental illness. There was one part where I'm like, oh wait, maybe he is faking it is when, uh, Robert Duvall's dragging him to see, uh, warm, uh, Ned Beatty. They're going up the stairs and as somebody passes, Howard Beale like flips out and has to do some like really crazy talk about, you know, I am the witness or whatever. I must make my witness. Yeah. And Frank like, shut up, that kind of a thing. I'm like, okay, maybe he's putting it on there, but not so much every, every other part of the the show. Right. But at some, at some point we do get to the point where he's, he's, and it's after that scene of him talking in bed by himself but we do get to a point where he disappears and then shows up maybe five minutes before the show's supposed to go on drenched in rain like completely crazy looking and that's where we get the mad as hell speech well i i like to call out the little joke things that like just made me tickled me was like you know they're all freaking out where the hell he is he comes in drenched off the street in his pajamas by the way it's always really nice of max to lend him a full adult pj set when he's crashing on the couch but just a you know trench coat pajamas soaked goes in and the security at the front door is like hi mr beale like nothing he just walks past goes i must make my witness just insane just nonsense 
straight into the studio and then you get the oh i'm sure it's on afi's top whatever oh, it is. lines of cinema i think this is how i discovered the movie in the first place when i was it's how everybody knows it yeah yeah it's the famous you know i'm i'm as mad as hell and i'm not going to take it anymore speech of him just basically calling bullshit on everything well, it's, it's on a, television. It's a, it's a populist yeah. rant, and we've seen the, how people can weaponize populism. And so all these people stick their heads out of their windows like, and do, do exactly what he says, and you know it becomes kind of like a cult following. Yeah, here we go. I mean, <clears throat> this is the madman of the prophets. It's the popularism. It's appealing to people who feel victimized or marginalized. It's appealing to the anger, right? Mm -hmm. And when you do that, that's how you start bringing in marginalized views. In this, it's the ecumenical liberation front. It's now, it's the a the election's been stolen mm -hmm. right it's it's the exact thing and it's we're seeing it all the time and to be fair it's not just that that's the most important i would say and the most dangerous but you do see that with a lot of other things oh right? yeah but it it's <clears throat> put rage cells put people on here people are going to get angry at him they're going to be angry by the things he says we don't care you see Faye Dunaway doesn't believe in any of this. She doesn't give a shit what he's saying or what the viewpoint no, is. But she, as long she, as it's getting people yeah, riled no, up. She get, and, you know, the day after this, she, all she cares about is that he got, like, an amazing share and a bunch of viewers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so this is the launching into the Madman of the Prophet show, which the theme song I am almost certainly going to edit into the intro and outro of this episode. But we saw it earlier. Basically, it is the infotainment, fake news, variety bullshit. Hour. Yeah, they, they, have they have basically they have a soothsayer and a, a gossip columnist. Uh, I forget what the one other guy who was sitting at the desk, what his gimmick would have been. But they got uh, Matahari and... <laughs> Basically, uh, Vox, Populi, Vox Populi, which you can assume is uh, just angry people calling in. Oh, yeah, you it's, know, it's, letters it's to the, the op editor, ed section. Uh, dog whistles. Mm -hmm. the, let me get to the dog whistle segment of the, the broadcast, right? So they're not hitting you on the head with that, but it's like that's exactly what so much news is now. Yep. Basically, any television news is that. And of, I think and of course, a lot of them can be high and mighty about it but it's all of them yeah oh for sure and of course you know we every show we have to start with a sermon from howard beale mm -hmm. so who, who who has his own like you know you know you know uh arsenio hall dog pound thing he they, he comes out they all say i'm mad as hell and i'm not gonna take it anymore like that's that's their their cheer for him uh, and it ends with him having a staged or, you know, maybe it's his brain tumor or whatever is going on with him. He passes out every episode and people go crazy for it. Well, he did it's pass out earlier at one point that I thought was real, but, and I thought maybe this first one was real, but then I wonder if, if it's, you know, then put on. Well, that's the thing. We don't quite know. I, it's probably real. But you don't see like what Faye Dunaway does behind the scenes to get him going, right? Like how how fake are these 
rage things. Like he's mad, but will he take a script to it? You don't see how she really developed uh, and, it. Like what's the problem? And I would how do they corral? Well, him? also too, yeah. I wouldn't put it beyond Faye Dunaway's character to like slip him a little something before the show to get him all riled up to the point where he'll just pass out by the end. Oh, I mean, at this point, like we end up finding she's paying a terrorist organization $10,000 a month to commit crimes, right? And film them so <laughs> that we can use them as a t- the movie end. of the week. Oh, yeah. So anyhow, the ratings are just blowing off the, the charts here. I forget what the um, his first rant was as the new madman, the content of that, because like the the subsequent ones are, you know, ruled by IBM. You know, there is no nations. It's the stuff he took directly from the Ned Beatty conversation, put his twist on it. But I forget what, like, the first one that we see is uh, in this new format. I think it was more of the same from the first one. But they're all good, too, right? Like, even with our cynical eye of seeing this as a movie of, like, oh, man, <clears throat> I don't like where this is going. But what he is saying, it's moving. It's effective. You can see how this would catch catch on with folks. Because it's like a, an amazing writer, right? Patty Stryavsky, very, very famous. Um, Stryavsky. Yes. Very famous writer. It's like, it's great content where you're just like, man, this is effective, right? Yeah. So is it the uh, where he's calling out the... Um, the Saudis purchasing so the company? Has, or is that, has, that's a little bit He later. has his first show, which I, I think was more of the same from the Mad as Hell rant. And then there's a second show that we get to see later, and that's when the Saudi deal comes in. Right. So, I mean, we... So, okay. We'll get into... I want to get into the ecumenical kind of thing again. Because this is exactly what we've seen in the news. It's raising the voice of extreme people just to give, you know entertainment right it's sensationalizing and it's bringing it in so it's mainstreaming marginalized content right it's giving platforms the people who have should have no way of having a platform so faye dunaway's idea is let's meet with this woman who she's you know you you see it earlier she's the front people for a communist organization out in california presumably let's meet with her We'll give her a show. She's allowed, and Faye Dunaway says, you can say whatever the hell you want. I don't care as long as you give us the great Ahmed Khan and your ecumenical liberation society creating great footage of illegal acts, right? They talk about all the, you know, the legal consequences well, that's the thing, of it, is that all that she, kind she, of stuff. At, but... at first, she's just excited that she'll get to have a platform to spread her propaganda. But again, the the Hollywood system gets to them where like we, we see the legal arguments is like i'm not doing putting this fucking thing in there you know she just you know then it becomes all about money like it's so it's so interesting and disturbing to watch this woman who has at least some sense of 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 belief just flush it all away that's the thing it's like in this it one of the many 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 storylines talking through it is just like how nobody has any real it's amazing how quick people can give up their positions right just for a little bit of fame a little bit of 
money. It, yeah, it's just immediately the communist turns into the most vicious, the um, ugliest version you know, of capitalism. capitalism. Yeah, yeah. So it's just you know morals, whatever. Get out of the way. It's like well, that's also. I laughed at that again with just how many Russian communist biographies I've read of just like none of them actually believed in any of that. It was all just a means to, yeah, it was all just different bits of grift. Right. Um, Oh man. A Bishop. Uh, what's the actor's name? (laughs) I know I recognized it. Lance Henriksen. Yes. The the great Lance Hendrickson just pops in here as just one of the corporate stooge lawyers or whatever. You may not recognize him at first because in the seventies, he doesn't have his smoker's deep voice yet, but it's definitely him. And some bell bottom, you know, um, business, uh, suits. So yeah, it's just, they're coming in. Uh, we mentioned that they, Faye Dunaway mentions like the FBI is serving papers and searching our office. Like you get all these other just amazing things around the edges of just, we're telling the FBI to go fuck themselves and that kind of a thing. So we find that the, um, the Howard Beale show is the lead into the Mao Zedong hour. Because eventually we do find out Beale's ratings are um, hurting their ratings. Well, and boy, okay. is the communist pissed at that. Okay, because, well, we have to explain what happens to get there. So during one of the Howard... Well, I know, but just wrapping that one up. But go ahead. During one of the Howard Beale hours, in the middle of his, his peak, uh, he his rant goes on the fact that the company that owns UBS, the CCP, whose head is, is Robert Duvall, is about to sell the company to a bunch of Saudis for money or what? Well, yeah, I mean, again, just like, oh, my God, is this prescient, too? It's Howard Duvall's bound to make like a fortune because Ned Beatty's company, the parent company is going to be sold to whoever. And nobody wants to talk about just these hidden bank accounts and these people loaning out money. Nobody knows who it is, but I'll tell you who it is. So in the background, there's still some actual like journalism maybe happening in here. Yeah, I I I do think at one point he honestly, Howard Beale honestly cared about journalism and its original purpose. Yeah, so that's where it's like they're I don't know, like, again, he is crazy, but like there is probably still this is that dragging part right it's like i get why the love story is there but i also want to see more of like finch of like what or howard beale i want to see more of finch and like what is going on in there is it just pure madness because there's it's not because he speaks a hell of a lot of interesting truth about you know is this what you want do you want huge foreign corporate or huge foreign interests buying media companies that you're so stupid you're going to eat everything that they tell you Mm -hmm. and now look around you this isn't news this is direct leadership telling me what to say we get more into that later but this is what he's saying and it's like that is still like the newsman at the heart speaking a lot of truth in this right and and eventually tells them you know i want i want a hundred thousand telegrams into the white house telling them to stop this deal from going forward which you know as soon as the the network loves him faye dunaway and they all love him until they start he starts costing them money (laughs) yes i love the scene of basically 
Robert Duvall's making the uh, the victory lap, right? Talking about the acquisitions about to come in. Faye Dunaway's yeah. like, you know, the queen of the ball as well. And they're out on the West Coast and nobody on the East Coast thought to like pull the show for the West Coast because it's going out live. So they all gather around to watch him basically shit all over them all becoming millionaires overnight, basically with this acquisition. And just how much Robert Duvall goes, just that scene of like, oh my God, I'm fucked. Yeah. I love how he played that. Just like, I know I'm about to get a call where I'm going to be told to meet at, you know, Arthur Jensen, Ned Beatty's office in the morning. I know I'm going to be called in there. And within about 30 seconds, he gets the call to go there, but he's told to bring Howard Beale with him. Yeah, it's just, Duvall is awesome in this as well. This is after Godfather, completely different character, by the way, also Robert Duvall, Mm -hmm. he's awesome and everything. So for my money, maybe my favorite scene in the movie is uh, Duvall and uh, Finch being dragged to Beatty's office going to the uh, conference room and the way that this is staged is like the most of the movies kind of like with the characters, very humanistic. You're there reading their faces and stuff. I love how this is staged. It, it's to show just how like silly and to show how Ned Beatty's character is trying to put on like a character well, or so he, he, what he's trying to do in this. So scene. he, he, you know, he introduces himself to Beale. He's very nice, very personal. Oh, let's go talk in here, but yes, by ourselves. And then they go into this conference room and get across this long conference table. Beatty's on one side and Howard Beale's on the other. Then all of a sudden this conference room is dark, except for this huge spotlight on Ned Beatty. <laughs> and then Ned Beatty. Does, it's the weirdest scene of the Ned movie. Ned Beatty does like, it caught me off guard because I mean, I have never heard. Oh yeah. Ned Beatty. I think of like deliverance and I think of, you know, Mr. Luthor sort of like uh, you know, the, those <laughs> yes. sort of silly roles, but Ned Beatty here changes his tune and all of a sudden puts on like this voice of God almost and just lays oh, into him. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a, it's an amazing speech because it's hilarious in the way that he delivered it. Right. You have messed like you know that it's like that yeah and the yeah and the top the top lighting and everything really shows and the way they staged it it's arthur jensen's trying to put on like a weird character for him well i think he's exploring he's either he's knowingly exploiting the guy's mental illness that's the thing it's like it must be because the way that it's shown is like it's meant to be kind of absurd how he's being positioned under this well it's definitely supposed to be because exaggerated because he throws uh Beale's lines back at him from when he allegedly heard uh well that was what the first the first speech was about on the new show is that he how he heard the voice of whoever saying that it was his responsibility to bring this to the people because mm. you're on television dummy um right um yes. and he he uses those exact same words against him in this in this scene so i i, I think it's for sure ned Beatty is exploiting his his mental illness to get him to say what he wants him to say so this is maybe the this thread is the only part that I'm really kind of confused with because this speech is awesome. It's Beatty basically talking about, you know, there's no nations anymore. There's just IBM and companies, all these conglomerates. It's just, it's just a company. Yeah. The, you know, it's on, the only lifeblood that matters is money, mm-hmm. right? 
And there's a lot of truth to it. It's ugliness. It's also very much in that kind of a character of like, he doesn't care about the borders. He's going to do business with anybody if it makes him money, right? Well, and, and the only reason he's coming down on messed with and that. the only reason he's coming down on Beale at this point is just because he fucked him out of a lot of money. The direction and the cutback to uh, Beale is interesting in this. Like his reaction to it of just like open mouth. Like he, I don't know what he is like. Re, how he's reacting to this, right? I I'm curious to I see because he... it goes in. I think and he regurgitates this. Well, the thing is, I think, and because we didn't see a two-way interaction when he supposedly had this yes. back and forth with the voice in his right. in his apartment, I would imagine that the voice very much spoke the way that Ned Beatty did to him. So I guess that he's he's reacting mm. as if he was having another <clears throat> directive from the voice. Right. So it's it, it, so that's part of it. Like I can kind of get how he takes that message and he uh, depresses it or however you might want to put it. Cause he does. And basically Jensen is telling him like, Hey, diabetes, you need to take this and be a preach this new democracy. You know, democracy is bullshit thing. Right. You need to like start greasing the wheels of humanity to appreciate that. This is the new normal, right? This is, the late 20th century it's going into the 21st nobody cares about russia and soviets and you know or the, democracy or, or even, in the u.s or even the individual anymore just shut up in right. your place so it's inter so the part that it's like i don't get is okay beale takes that and he doesn't he makes it sound really depressing but he takes that because i think it's also very much in line with what he was railing against so he's still going to kind of rail against it. It's kind of in line with Jensen. I never quite get why Jensen is still so in favor of Beale. Because he, the story now is Beale goes on the air and, it, and starts telling everybody, you're just a number. Which is you're the exact opposite of what got him popular in the first place. So it's after, right. it's after Jensen makes him start saying this stuff on tv that the actual ratings start to fall because they were they were not falling when uh when he gave the 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 saudi deal is bullshit rant they begin falling after he he said you know democracy and life is futile but the way that i the way i read it or how i heard beale telling it is it's still him just matter of factly saying that this is it it's not him really arguing as vehemently to like stop it He's explaining what the basically the truth kind of is as far as like Jensen's of the world see it. I don't understand why Beatty is still such a big Jensen. Sorry, I always go back and right. forth on the character or the actor's name, but I don't understand why he is still such a big defender of Beale at that point, right? Because the ratings now tank because people don't like hearing that you're just a number, a number as far as the company is. You're just a rating. That's all that matters to us it's still pretty much in line with what Finch is saying is just, it's the, the angriness is kind of taken down. It's more kind of like defeatist, well, but I don't get why Jensen wants to keep him on the air when the ratings are now tanking. Well, He's a huge fan of it. Apparently. Well, I'm, I'm guessing it's because as long as he keeps saying this, the Saudi deal will be back on. And by the time the deal goes through, Ned Beatty will just be able to say, fuck it. You know, it doesn't matter with the ratings. I got my money. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, if I had to, I, I'm so torn on it, right? I love the scenes with Max and Diana and the wife and all that kind of a thing. It's great thematically there. I want to see a little bit more of some of the, the plottier type stuff for the, like the television type of thing. Because I just want to see more you know, of this. It, like, the, it's awesome. It, I want another Ned Beatty Because you're right about this. And, and it just made me think, you know, it would be the best way if they did an adaptation of this now is to do it as like an HBO miniseries. Like a limit, limited number of episodes, but expanding more than what you can in a two hour film. And I say HBO because I still want all my cussing intact because you can't do this story without it. Um, it's a, but, yeah, it, it's, it's adults. It's it, yeah. You just have to have the cursing and stuff, but I think I this don't would know be how a great this now though. I maybe not, but I'm just saying if there was a, a format for this kind of story that I think would work, it would be a mini series. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's so much here. I, I don't know how you do this now because it has to be kind of updated. It has to be a commentary on like the internet, right? I mean, maybe you can. Or whatever. I, I don't because know. This but, is just, but this is all truth. Right. This isn't satire anymore. It's all been realized. I don't know. I'm just saying that, you know, I think it, I think this has great potential. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's out there. Like you see some like some of the scariest stuff I've the scariest book I've ever read is called futuristic suits and uh uh and cat cats in futuristic suits or no wait futuristic violence and fancy suits there you go it's a comedy book set in like the slight future but it's like incredibly scary because it's set in a world of like what the internet feels like it's going towards it has all these like criminals doing live streaming them murdering people and you have the chat saying oh why don't you rape her too and it just feels so real and such a natural view into the future of what we're going i think there's tons of this type of stuff you just kind of have to update oh, it definitely right? the scene uh black mirror where they make the um prime minister have sex with a pig and just how everybody reacts to it feels extremely realistic how it would yeah. actually go. Yeah. I think there's all sorts of stuff like this thing can kind of go forward, but this retelling people, it's not satire no. anymore. It's not right. This isn't a look into the, it's, it's, it's what happened 15 years ago, right? It's, the foundation of Fox news and let's not be high and mighty. It's CNN now too. And MSNBC. And you go even worse into all like the news maxes. Well, yeah, I mean, this was talking about journalism. Journalism is not journalism anymore. It's now it's entertainment. Yeah. I mean the, um, Mao Zedong hour. Oh my God. The news loves it when they get footage of some like catastrophe they just rolled on a repeat and it's just playing over people saying nothing over and, it. and now i mean what they probably couldn't have have imagined back then but you know now we got the 24-hour news cycle and then after that came the internet yeah that i mean those are the just natural evolutions to this it's like faye dunaway's character was probably the person that started programming the 24 hours right, right? And it's like, okay, well, we'll have the thin veneer of like news between, you know, 6 a.m. and 7 p.m. But after 7 p.m., all the it's just the like commentators, 
the reins are off, right? But nobody knows that difference and not that there's actually any difference between the two, right? So just uh, every bit of it's here, right? Yeah. It, uh, it, this is a scary movie. It's also hilarious, but it's Well, that's why scary. I say it. I mean, it's a dark comedy emphasis on dark. Mm-hmm. So the darkest part here, right, is yeah. moving towards the yeah, end. Yeah, which is, I mean, Ned Beatty loves Beale so much that he wants to just, just keep him and Dunaway and Duvall. And they're just like, how the hell do we deal with them? Well, we're just going to have to kill him. And you think it's a joke, I, I, but yeah. nobody in a room takes it as a joke. And it, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Right? In fact, I think one of the next things is, well, okay, how do we do it? Yeah. I mean, it's just talking straight to like the weird practicalities of it. Right. So, I mean, the, I mean, we're rapidly going towards the end, but the idea is, Hey, you know, I have some, um, you know, a terrorist organization with flexible morals. I think that we can get probably on. Board and I, for I, this. I'm glad they tied in the stuff that they were doing with the terrorists into the, to the final part of this movie. Cause it, you know, it makes these stories yeah. intertwine. Somewhere in here, by the way, they talk about how the other characters on the show have good ratings. And it's like, hey, you know, I think the, um, you know, fortune teller probably has a uh, ability to go off on and own on a spinoff show and stuff like that. Also, the uh, I like the boardroom scene where they're quickly, you know, they're trying to figure out a Beal replacement. And it's literally just like crazy televangelists. Yeah, crazy awful televangelist which it's also great because it's like well we've seen that well, when you have I, my, my favorite thing uh, you talk riley you talk you talk about funny though my favorite thing is when faye dunaway is listening to the televangelist and it's basically like this is shit i thought you told me let me hear the good one that you have and it's like oh this is the good one <laughs> but it's just like so on the nose because it's like say what you will about like bill o'reilly you have him and then when you get rid of him it's a downgrade to like Tucker carlson. carlson and then it's like all right well that guy did something horrible let's go down to the next one and it's a guy who drinks like you know paint thinner or whatever and it's just like keeps on downgrading to like the lowest bottom of the barrel kind of stuff mm -hmm just horrible horrible thing it's like obviously seeing right in it you can catch magic in the bottle once but then you have to you basically get like the uh the clone of the clone of the clone uh type what is, stuff what does faye dunaway she, say she, she's like we'll just have to accept the fact that mad prophets don't grow on vines or something like that something <laughs> along those lines so okay well the idea is <clears throat> we'll get the um Oh, actually, yeah, it's also like, hey, the murder of Beale will be the uh, sec season two lead off episode of the Mao Zedong hour. Just like let the snake keep eating its tail kind of mm -hmm. a stuff. Right. So very quickly, I mean, at this point, Max is out of the scene. We never are out of the movie. We never see what really turns out for him and his wife. Um, and then episode Beale comes out and I was caught off guard with how quickly this happens right he starts to wind up to give his next speech and the great ahmed khan and somebody else hops up and they just shoot him in the head in the chest with automatic like dead dead. like super dead oh yeah gone 
oh yeah there's no it's gruesome it's just it's awful and he's dead and the voiceover comes in this was the story Howard of Beale. Howard Beale the first known instance of a man who killed was killed for lousy uh, because he had lousy layerings and as the you see the news pick up on it and there you go and the news is treating it like exactly like you would think it, it's sensationalizing it i mean yeah and but like i would bet when bill o'reilly's off the air his like career death episodes are probably spikes in ratings you know i'm sure they like having that little boost so it's like literally not somebody dying but right. This is all true. People love that Scheidenfreude, right? Of watching somebody else. I'm surprised they didn't promote it. Like run a, a, a commercial saying, hey, tune in for a very surprise episode of this. No, but they probably, like I, I, I guarantee, well, I guarantee you they probably reran it. Oh, yeah. So, oh, there you go, Matt. Oof. Good movie. I'll ask you the very obvious question. What are your final thoughts? And do you think networks stood the test of time? Um, yes. Uh, this is, this may be, I have to go back and look at the last 31 episodes, but this may be my favorite film that we reviewed for this show. It's just so good. Mm. And like you said, I, it's just so dialogue heavy and it's a bunch of character moments strewn together, but what it says, how it portrays such cynicism and amorality and the, the willingness for, people to just abandon all hope of, of, you know, belief or, you know, central tenets that they may or may not have. They don't matter as soon as you put fame and, and fortune into the equation. I love this movie. I, and it's not a movie that I would, it's not a feel good movie by any means. I'm not saying like, I'll just put this on when I'm depressed, but this is a damn good movie. And one of the best I've ever seen for, for this show. Mm-hmm. I'm looking back through the cast. I think there might have been one good moral character that was Nelson Cheney, um, like the boss who dies off screen. Oh yeah, he dies. That's Max. right. Yeah. Yeah. So look what you get for, you know, having your morals and, and die, your willingness and, to stand up for something. And dies early. Like it, that's the first act. Yeah, kind of like a character that didn't necessarily meet, need to be there. But even him, right, when um, Robert Duvall is like scolding him of like, just sit down. He swallows his pride and even like kind of goes around, uh, goes along with it. Like he's going to pick his battle later. So even then, like he didn't exactly follow through on his moral stance, right? He let Robert Duvall browbeat him down into submission when he was going to say, no, I'm not going to stand for having the madman go on the air and exploit his mental illness. So, you know, there was maybe one in there and maybe uh, Max's wife, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So my, my final thoughts is like, mm, I do draw the distinction of favorite and best. This might be the best movie. It's up there. It's not my favorite, but it's like obviously super good. Um, I will get sometimes irked by just like, you know, making a movie. Don't make it like a play, like the too many speeches or something like that. I can kind of get annoyed with. This is the crazy exception to that, right? I was hanging on every word every character had during all their iconic speeches, right? So Howard Beale had a bunch. Max had his. Faye Dunaway had several. Ned Beatty's was the one I takes the cake, right? But every character has some crazy 
insane moment to shine. Um, I just loved each one of them. They were all somehow one-upping each other. Apparently in the uh, prep for this, they had just huge in-person rehearsal sessions. Umet treated it kind of like a play, right? So I think that shows here and they probably saw each other how they were doing this. So, you know, you know, metal hardens metal or whatever the expression is. So you just kind of see it all here. It's just fantastic. It's just super scary. I would be curious to see how a new audience like appreciates this as like satire at that time. I don't know. It's interesting how this evolved into something different, but no way does it age and no way is there anything in here that felt wrong or out of place. Like I said, draggy is one thing, but that story or, by itself completely makes or sense. Really, it's great. Or really unbelievable. Awesome. I mean, the most unbelievable thing you would think, you would hope, is that, you know, network executives planning to assassinate someone on live TV, but exploiting someone's mental illness, doing all this and that and the other thing for, for, for ratings and money, it's not unrealistic. Yeah, I mean, it... It's not out of place in the movie. It's not maybe super realistic, but just like the heightened absurd comedy elements or the killing on the air is just like, well, there's your satire. That's how you can go. Well, nobody will ever. But do I like this. how it's kind the climax thing, but, and I yeah. like how it's he's shown us up to that point. Oh, yeah. The, these characters, they, they would make that kind of decision without. And yeah. And the thing it's like what I said, like, I really think like I don't No other character really makes a difference. Uh, Faye Dunaway's character. I just can't think she survives out of this. You know, if we're applying a real world thing to it, she's going to burn out. The FBI, we know, is kicking around the edges of the ecumenical (laughs) society. I think she's going to get caught in this at some point. Right. And she'll be the fall person. So. I can't imagine she has a good future ahead of her. No, I think the only this. person that has the potential to walk away from this with some kind of future is William Holden. But I, I wonder, it's like, because he was, he didn't do a whole lot to help his friends no, through I, this either. And I'm not so say- seeing how that turned out, I can't imagine he would have that great of a run at the end. No, I'm I'm just saying, I, I you know, I, I, I don't think he's a good person either, but... He's the only one I think that walks out of this with some potential of maybe finding, if not happiness, just some sort of reason for living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a new grandkid, right. right? We find out. So great stuff. Great stuff. Check out futuristic violence and fancy suits if you want to have your, you know, scared and it's really funny. Uh, just great stuff. Top to bottom. Like. Yeah, best acted movie we've had, I think, by a long mm-hmm. margin. <laughs> so, all right. Shall we tie it off, Matt, and set our sights to the 2024? 2024. All right. So, should I take 2024, the first one in January? I think you should. Because we talked about doubling up. Okay. So, <clears throat> by the way, I will tell you before we get into this, um, this was one of the first times every movie that turned up in the number generator is available which is a shame because just out of the top five was best in show oh no i would have loved to do that and but we wouldn't have had it because the next one was a marx brothers movie at the circus and we have certain standing rules so but anyhow we have some interesting films that are the actual selection for me in january first 
from 1938, Jezebel. Julie Martinson has a place in New Orleans society and a man who adores her, Preston Dillard. But she scandalizes society and her beau when she insists on wearing a stunning red gown to a ball that requires ladies to be dressed in white, so on and so forth. Uh, so I guess that's the origin of Jezebel. I wasn't aware of that. But hey, maybe. I mean, you got Betty Davis and Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. Next is 1960s The Sundowners. A nomadic family travels across 1930s Australia to pursue their dream of setting into or settling into a big farm. Along the way, they try to win some money. Robert Mitchum. There's your... Uh, part to latch onto there. I'd like me some Robert Mitchum. Well, it's, it's, it's uh, Robert Mitchum and Deborah Carr. I like both of them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> From 1945, The Clock. A GI en route to Europe falls in love during a whirlwind two-day leave in New York City, starring Judy Garland. From 1949, The Girl from Jones Beach. An artist discovers a real-life version of the perfect woman he's been drawing for years, starring Ronald Reagan. For the record, Matt, have you ever seen a Ronald Reagan acting performance? I haven't. I have not either. And then from, again, this is the, uh, our beards are growing gray as we watch it. From 1997, Insomnia. A psychological crime thriller which follows a sleep-deprived homicide detective as he investigates the brutal murder of a teenage girl in northern Norway. This is the original. I was going to say, did, did, so, Christopher, I was Nolan say did Christopher Nolan remake this? Because, I mean, I, I'm familiar with that yes. film. I, I didn't know it was a remake, though. Yes, that's a remake of this film. Starring Stellan Sarsgaard. So there yeah. you go, Matt. Where do you think I'm going? And what would your preference be this uh, this month? To me, there's not a standout that like, oh, for sure, I think he'll go for this. There's no. Well, first of all, there's no Russian in this. So there there, there goes that <laughs> one. Um, there's also no way pretty close. There also no there's also yeah. no um, Marx Brothers in here. So we don't have that giveaway. Shame. There's no musical, which I know is something that you've also been wanting to get to. I'm hoping. Oh, you're right. I have I forgot about that, but we got to get a musical someday. American Paris. Fingers crossed. Someday. Again, I don't care if this makes me sound political. I don't. I hope you're not going to make me watch the Ronald Reagan movie, um, because according to <laughs> to my grandfather, who was not a fan of his presidency, he used to say he wasn't even a good actor. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Uh, I kind of would like to see the original Insomnia, but I don't know if that's something that you're going to go for. I don't know. I genuinely don't know this this time. So why don't you mm. tell me your, your thinking? So for the record, we could kill two birds with one stone. If we get a latter day uh, Marx Brothers movie, those are all musicals, right? Because they made the have, uh, was it MGM they went to second? Yeah, I think so. Um, they always made them have a, a romance in there. Uh, a male and female lead that wasn't Groucho or Harpo, right? So they would always have them in and then shoehorn in a bunch of musical uh, stuff. So like, you know, A Night at the Opera would be our perfect um, option for that. Anyhow, back to the matter at hand. 
So yeah, going through this, four out of five of those are completely unappealing to me. Uh, there is a bit more big curiosity to just for the novelty of seeing a Ronald Reagan movie. I have never seen that, right? And that 78 minutes was uh, nicely appealing. But no, there is one that's like right up my alley, I would say. And it is Insomnia. We're picking Insomnia. Oh, good. I'm excited. Yeah. So no, I have never seen that. I just recently watched, uh, coincidentally, the Christopher Nolan uh, remake. And that's it's a good, good one. I mean, right? I, and I'm not a huge like Nolan devotee, but that's one of the ones that I really do like. I am. Uh, I think Nolan's batted a thousand, right? I, I think he's great. But my thing in this is it's like, well, I want to see that. I love, you know, different cultures in films on location. Like I, I just love being exposed to different love, cinema around the I world. I like Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, do I love me uh, some Sarsgaard and per, in particular Stellan. So yeah, I am all over that. That was like, Oof. Okay. What a relief. Uh, when that one came up fifth in the run, I'm like, yeah, there it is. No brainer. We're going with insomnia, which it will put to the test. My theory about showtimes indicating quality of the film. Maybe it's the subtitledness of it, but this is airing on January 8th at 4 AM Eastern. So that's you typically the nightmare block. Um, you might get some wild stuff. I, but I think it's, for what it's worth, this is scored higher on Letterboxd than the Nolan remake. I think it's just because people, if it's a subtitle film, people don't want to read. We right. Americans are stupid like that. So, oh, it's all I watch now are Japanese subtitle films, and I couldn't be more happy and in the in the zone watching that. So, well, there you go. So story doesn't have to continue i'm sure we missed a lot of praise uh for the network missed some storylines or allegories or something like that that like is a direct parallel to now so this conversation can continue reach out to us at tcmchallenge at gmail.com we can be found on facebook at tcm challenge mm, other places exist matt I can be found on the only social media I really give a crap. I have a threads out there if you want to really look. Uh, but um, Letterboxd, Pro Sub Zero, it's the best social media out there for the movie nerd. Matt, where can we find you? I'm still on the, the site formerly known as Twitter for the time being. Uh, I know. I know. I have, have like 700 followers, though. I can't just delete it. Um, but if you want to be surprised how easy it is, but uh, go on, I guess I'm vain, but you can find me there uh, <laughs> talking about all sorts of things at M Hansen 0207. All right. Very good. With that, set your DVRs to 4 a.m. on uh, January 8th. Get right in there for some Norwegian insomnia. And I'm Matt in Buffalo. And I'm Matt in Arizona. Thank you so much for joining us on this month's TCM Challenge. And you people, you know, you are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off this podcast. Turn it off now. Turn it off and leave it off. Turn it off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn it off. Oh